Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Well, welcome to the Truth and Hope Report, our Super Saturday coverage. Um, a little later than we were expected, but that's okay. Um, joining me from Wapon, Tennessee, is uh, David Oatney. Uh, David, thanks so much for being with us. Um, good to have you as always. Good morning. It's a it's Super Sunday morning here in the, here in the East Tennessee already. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and of, of course, uh, Super Sunday, I guess, will also be Puerto Rico voting later on tomorrow for me, today for you, I guess. Um, that does bring up a point here. This is an apps. Uh, let me just go ahead. Between Super Tuesday and this coming Tuesday, the states that will vote or have voted in this week, it, going from west to east, we have Hawaii, we have Idaho, we have um, Kansas, we have Michigan, um, we have Mississippi, and we have, I'm sure I'm missing some, oh yeah, we have Kentucky, and and then we have Puerto Rico, and that's all within a one-week period. And all of this created essentially because the RNC decided we needed to start the winner-take-all contest um, earlier. So we're having this scramble of states in no particular of states, and in the case of Puerto Rico, a commonwealth um, with no particular location. I mean. Uh, this is really a strain on the candidates and I think on the system overall. Yeah, I have to agree. And, and furthermore, I think we need to re-examine, uh, you know, I, in an ideal world, and by the way, I hope our listeners can hear me. I, I, as I told you before we went to air, I'm in a low voice because I'm holding my beautiful, sleeping, almost one-year-old daughter. Uh, and I don't want to wake her. Uh, but uh, So I hope everyone can hear me. I, as I've told you several times throughout, uh, I, throughout the process this year, I'm, I'm of the belief that the entire process in our party, in the Republican Party, uh, needs to be proportional. We need to do away with winner-take-all states. One of the reasons for this is that the winner-take-all process is not representative of the votes, and one of the reasons we have proportional states is because we want them to be more representative of voters. Well, I don't think winner-take-all processes are, are representative of that when it comes to the Republican National Convention. I understand why they do winner-take-all states to bring some conclusion to the process. But as we've learned this year, uh, we need representation of the voters in the process because that's really what is allowing 
uh, Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio to stay in this thing and keeping Donald Trump from running away with it. Yeah, and I I think that there's certainly a case for that we and we may discuss more of the process as well uh, for the future. But um, we'll start with the less interesting side, and that's the Democrats. I say it's less interesting. But uh, we had three contests, and Bernie Sanders uh, won um, um, won two of them. He won uh, Kansas by 67.7% um, of the vote, which I remember a few years back there was a liberal uh, who wrote a book, What's the Matter with Kansas, um, there may be called for on the conservative side, looking at them voting for an out-and-out socialist, uh, something you wouldn't associate with Kansas. Uh, Nebraska, uh, also for Sanders, though, by a smaller margin of 56 to 43. Uh, These two contests have kept Bernie Sanders in it. There's no question uh, from the Democratic perspective. Uh, Bernie Sanders is, is... still in the race because of Nebraska and Kansas, and he will fight on because of the Democratic delegate allocation process. Uh, their their process will go on for for several months, for a month or two longer than the Republican process, really. Yeah, uh, and I should say Hillary Clinton did win in uh, Louisiana, seventy one to twenty three. But again, you do have that uh, problem, you know, which we we talked about where Hillary is not winning the um, Hillary 08 uh, sort of voters. And though I think they've, a lot of them have left the Democratic Party. Now, the proportional thing is somewhat of a two-edged sword because right now Mrs. Clinton holds a 600-plus delegate lead over Bernie Sanders. So it is it, – um, you know, and that's the delegates, Adam. Let's be honest. Yeah, that's with the super delegates, but it is hard to imagine him catching her, even if he gains in the popular vote. Um, he'll, not, he'll not catch her, and, and we should be clear on that. But, but what'll happen is that it's going to prolong the process, you know, really. And we need to remind ourselves of this. This process is open until someone gets a majority of the delegates. They, they need at least one more than half uh, secures the nomination. Anything short of that, and, and you're not securing the nomination, it goes to the convention floor. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's another point that's been being made. And um, I think when we get to the Republican side, uh, and there, there's been this point, and it's been made both by Trump and Cruz, where they have conflated uh, the Republican nomination, uh, someone not having enough delegates, with and therefore it falls to the convention to um, vote on who will be the nominee. Um, they've conflated that with stealing the election or having the establishment steal the election. Um, I'm hearing that here locally. I'm hearing that from people inside the party apparatus here, uh, of which you know, I have been a part. And um, that, that, that is nonsense. Those rules are provided for, for, for precisely to prevent such an election theft. Um, 
that's what conventions are there to do. We are under the illusion. There's a reason why these primaries are called presidential preference primaries. They exist to allegate delegates to the national convention where this choice will officially be made. And if no one candidate has the requisite number of delegates, then it falls to the national convention to to then make the choice in accordance with the rules of their perspective states. Right. Those are the the rules in in a nutshell, and and that's been that way since for time immemorial. We need to get over this idea that that there is some sort of theft of of the election being plotted. Uh, It is perfectly all right for people who are opposed to one candidate or another to plot a scenario whereby nobody gets enough delegates to secure the nomination before the convention, and they take it to the floor. Well, that's not about stealing it. That's, that's exactly what the rules allow for. It's just been so long since we've seen anything like that. The last time we had a contested convention in the Republican Party was 1976. That's before well, I was born, but barely. I was a few months old. Um, but uh, that was before most of the people voting were either born now in these primaries or or cared much about what was going on. Right. And, I mean, I, I think that the this is and it, this to be the nominee of the Republican Party. You have to be able to bring the party together, and the test of that is can you bring together a majority of the delegates, which in most states are elected directly in either a primary or a caucus, and. The thing is that, you know, we have the nominating process as it is to make sure that we have a Republican nominee who the majority of Republicans can actually support, you know, so we don't go and nominate, you know, do something crazy like nominate someone who uh, talks about his desire to order our military to commit war crimes on national television. Though that, that sort of thing would never happen. Uh, Runner for the Republican nomination, that fellow, that guy, you know, that, that this is exactly why we take nominations to conventions. Right. And if he is nominated, there is no way that the party would be united under him. Now, he could be the nominee, and I want to be clear on that. It could happen, and he could win the nomination legitimately. But uh, we we are deluding ourselves if we think that there's unity uh, at present. There's not. Right. Uh, and, and this is exactly what the convention is going to be called upon to address. Yeah, and you know, you 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 look at it, and he has gotten about you know thirty four percent of the vote, um, which is more than the other candidates, but it's still not. Um, it's still nowhere close to a majority. And uh, it uh, and I think that it really is you know it, it really is foolish you know to talk about this particularly for Ted Cruz as if um, 
to, as if something happening to the convention equals theft. No, if Donald Trump gets 1,237 delegates and the convention uh, decides to create four superdelegates to deny him, then that would be theft, and that would not be legitimate. But I would not support that. I want to make that clear. Right. And, and, if he has the requisite number of delegates, we should not create a process whereby a denomination is removed from him. Yeah, and, and I would agree with that. But I, I think so many people have gone ahead and conflated um, this uh, idea of a contested convention with taking this out of the hands of voters and stealing it. it it's simply not the case. And I think the reason Ted Cruz is taking that position is because he wants to use that as an advantage over Marco Rubio. Because in theory, in theory, he can reach 1,237 delegates, you know, provided he goes into New York and wins half, 51% of the vote and, you know, gets to, turns New York into a winner-take-all state for him, stuff like that happens. Sure, he could get to 1,237 delegates. Um, yeah, but the thing, the thing about this is that I think the Cruz campaign needs to remember, as well as the Rubio campaign, and everybody needs to remember this, that it's on the other side of Donald Trump at this point, is that a, a contested convention is likely to benefit them. Um, it, well, if you, if, you, uh, if, you, if you have a binary race between Ted Cruz and Donald Trump, uh, it, it won't. Either one of them could win it, but it's going to settle the question, and if it settles the question in a way that is unsatisfactory for the party, it's going to create a lot of disharmony. Um, there is a lot of disharmony in the Republican Party right now. Yeah, like there is in the country, and yeah, we need to. That's what the convention is for. We need to settle this in a way that everybody finds acceptable. It doesn't mean we're all going to like it, but um, if if we go to the convention and nobody's got a majority of the delegates. Let the convention take care of it, according to the rules. Now, I, uh, I guess we should get into the Republican results, and we'll start with the Kansas caucus, where Ted Cruz won 48% of the vote, uh, followed by Donald Trump at 23%, which... Uh, is totally opposite of the polls that were reported, which shows the folly of polling the Kansas caucus. Um, Marco Rubio at 17%, John Kasich at 11%. All of them uh, took delegates out of that state. Uh, in the state of Kentucky, Donald, uh, which, as I was polling David off the air, was actually funded by Rand Paul's Senate campaign. Um, because he could not change the state law so that he could appear on the Kentucky uh, primary ballot as a candidate for president and a candidate for Senate. And so uh, Rand Paul's campaign paid for the Kentucky caucus, uh, even though he ended up not being able to participate. Um, and Donald Trump had paid for the Rand Paul, uh, won the uh, Rand Paul paid for Kentucky caucus with 36% of the vote. Ted Cruz back in second at 32%. Marco Rubio at 16%. 
And John Kasich, uh, 14.4%, which is a bit high for Kasich, but not surprising given uh, that uh, Ohio and Kentucky are neighbors. You got everybody again, everybody carrying some delegates out of that. Yeah. Not an overwhelming victory for Donald Trump. But no. Yeah, it's it's a narrow victory there. Uh Louisiana, um, a lot closer than was uh than the polls indicated. Uh Trump won forty one point four percent, but Ted Cruz came in second with uh thirty eight percent. And uh they split and they split the state's uh delegates uh, pretty evenly. And it's actually a very interesting thing with Louisiana. Most states uh, because uh, Marco Rubio finished at 11, John Kasich at 6, neither got delegates. In most states, in those cases, when they proportion the delegates, they would proportion all of the state's delegates between Trump and Cruz. But in Louisiana, uh, in, this, in this particular instance, what they do is um, you won 41% of the vote, you get 41% of the delegates. You won 38% of the vote, you get 38% of the delegates and the rest go to the convention unpledged. Um, that's so a true, That's a strict proportional system is what that's called. Yeah, very few states have it. And then we go to Maine, which was a bit surprising. Uh, the governor had endorsed Trump over there, and, of course, there was no polling. It wouldn't really have been effective anyway, not that that stopped people from doing it in Kansas. Uh, but Ted Cruz won 46% of the vote in the uh, main caucus. Uh, Donald Trump won 33%, followed by John Kasich at 12%. Uh, Marco Rubio finished with 8% in the state of Maine. Uh, Cruz won the state's uh, 12 delegates, Trump 9, Kasich 2 uh, in the state of Maine. And See, we have to say that again. That's a big upset for Ted Cruz. We have to give him credit where credit is due, really due. Right. He is emerging as the alternative, the apparent alternative to Donald Trump. Well, well, I I think, uh, you know, I certainly would not in any way say that this was not overall a a very solid night for Ted Cruz. But I think there are things that have to be kept in mind. now Maine is good, and you know I, I think that what what Cruz managed to do in Maine is he managed to combine a lot of the Ron Paul support because Maine was Ron Paul's strongest state in 2012, and what religious conservatives were in the state, and really have a, a stunning you know upset. It's a it's small turnout. Um, but it was a little bit surprising in the state of Maine. Now, for the rest of it, while it's good, it's also kind of underperforming. In in Kansas, for example, Cruz won 48%. Four years ago, Rick Santorum won 52%. And four years before that, uh, Mike Huckabee won 60%. Um, so this is not uh, at all surprising, and in both those years, Huckabee and Santorum won the um, Louisiana primary, 
And this does go back to, um, you know, one of the big, uh, you know, problems with crows is just, the, you know, except for Maine, these were all states where you, going into 2012, after Iowa, you would have expected him to do very well. And he's not doing quite as well as he would have expect as you would have expected. And where that does get us into issues is we're going away from these sort of states very soon. Uh, you get into April and you have Wisconsin and um, uh, and you have um, New York, you have Connecticut, you have Rhode Island, Maryland, Delaware, uh, Pennsylvania. Um, those are the states that vote in April, and I cannot. And none of the, and none of these results give me any confidence that Senator Cruz can win there. Now, if he is, if he is truly developing into an actual, um, the actual consensus alternative, um, I think we'll see it reflected in other states' results, particularly when it comes to Tuesdays. But every, um, but I think they the ha- in terms of, uh, I, I think this is data, but we need to seek and be watching for more data, um, particularly out of Michigan, other states, to see some sort of movement and some sort of hope that he would be able to perform well against uh, Donald Trump in uh, all of these states that are going to vote in April that are very delicate rich. They are very delicate rich, but a number of them, not all, uh, are closed. And I, and I should point out that one of the things, one of the features of this, and, and, and Kentucky uh, comes to my attention tonight because I believe that it's the first closed nominating contest that Donald Trump has managed to win. Uh, he will win a few more. And there are some on the calendar that are going to be very favorable to him. But he's not done very well in closed primaries or closed caucuses. Right. Who votes in closed primaries and closed caucuses? Right. Uh, registered members of the Republican Party. And, and Republicans, by and large, um, people who who identify with the party uh, are rejecting him. They are rejecting him right across the country. Um, In Tennessee, we had an open primary, and I should point out, now I know quite a few Republicans that that support Donald Trump and went and voted for him, but I should point out that I also know for a fact that there was quite a lot of Democratic crossover here and quite a lot of independents voting in the Republican primary. Donald Trump. Now, I'm not going to criticize them for that, because presently the law allows for it. And, uh, you know, the law allows for it, so it is what it is. It's not something that I believe in, because I don't believe that you're you're not a member of a political party that you keep selecting their nominees for office. But, uh, uh, you know, I've never voted in a Democratic primary, and I, I, I wouldn't do it. I think it, it is a profoundly... Uh, dishonest thing to do. Right. You know, I, I, I know others feel differently and uh, a common argument you hear here in Tennessee, for example, 
Texas, but over in West Tennessee, there are still a few counties left where the Democratic Party prevails locally. Back from back in, you know, the old days. And um, a lot of the local Republicans in those counties will complain that if we did not have the option to vote in Democratic primaries, we wouldn't be able to vote for sheriff. We wouldn't be able to vote for other local offices. Similarly, here in, like, my county, well, the race for sheriff was decided entirely in the Republican primary. There was no Democratic opposition. Right. Um, uh, you know, there is that argument. But I would argue, conversely, if, if you're a Democrat and you are complaining that if I don't vote in the Republican primary or that, you know, you're a Republican complaining if I don't vote in the other primary, I won't get to vote for this or that office, help build your political party so that you can field the primary and field candidates for these offices. Right. And and that, that I think, is, you know, always going to be a debate. There are Republicans who favor Trump, and um, I I do think that somebody like Ted Cruz, there is just, you know, really, I mean – it would be. I, I mean, I think if if he gets into April, you know, with the two man race that he keeps asking for against Donald Trump, I don't think it will go well. well uh, Trump's support with him, and I think there's a reason for that. Um, uh, you know, I actually think it benefits Senator Cruz as well as Senator Rubio. Benefits everybody else if the longer that Rubio and Cruz stay in this thing together, the more likely it is that we're going to end up with a contested convention. Well, the longer longer they stay in it, the less likely it is that Donald Trump's going to be the outright nominee. Well, and and that everybody stay in it together. And I think that's why some of these guys are hanging around. Well, and I think that the big... um, the big thing is that the Cruz campaign doesn't see it see it like that at all. There's a very surreal thing that happened tonight. Uh, Donald um, Glenn Beck, um, who's a big time Cruz supporter, called. You know, it's a weird thing with people who support uh, Senator Cruz. They go from suggesting. Um, that Marco Rubio is just a big establishment sellout, and then when he's suggesting that they that he should leave, talk about what a wonderful guy he is. Um, but he was doing that, saying that it's you know it's time for Rubio to get out. You know who also called for Rubio to get out tonight? Donald Trump. And you know if you're in the Cruz campaign, you've got to say hold on. Why am I calling for the same thing that Trump wants? Because, you know, and I think part of it is that Rubio has really gotten under Donald Trump's skin. Like, no one's allowed to get under Donald Trump's skin. Um, I think that's but, a good reason for Rubio to stand in place. Even if at this point right. Rubio cannot win, I think we need to see, first of all, we need to Cruz and Rubio and Kasich need to come together in agreement. That Donald Trump, if, if you are against Trump, you need to come together in agreement that Donald Trump needs to be defeated. 
and the best and the, for the good of the party and the country, Trump must come down. And the best way to do this is get under his skin. Yeah. Now it benefits, it benefits everybody for all three for all these guys to stay in the race as long as possible because it prevents Trump from getting ahead. Yeah, so and they need, to, they need to come together, and their first strategy needs to be: let's take out Trump. We'll worry about yeah. each other later. Let's take Trump out. Yeah, and the the problem is, you see. Ted Cruz doesn't do deals. Um, Ted Cruz is the candidate who turned doesn't work well with others into a campaign asset. And this, I think, is the big problem we run into. Now, I did a whole program, um, you know, because I've actually been trying to just, you know, if you're not Donald Trump, try to just stay off the candidate's back. But Senator Cruz has no chance of winning the state of Florida. He went ahead and he opened 10 campaign offices in the state of Florida. Um, The only thing he's going to be able to achieve is um, to be able to siphon enough votes away from Marco Rubio so that Donald Trump wins the state of Florida and Senator Rubio is pushed out of the race. And that is a that is a very real possibility. And if if Donald Trump is nominated because Marco Rubio is no longer in the race, uh, and Ted Cruz tells us how much he's against Donald Trump, uh, I have to question the sincerity of that remark, because at this point it benefits him for Marco Rubio to remain in the race. Um, it benefits everybody opposed to Donald Trump for this race to be going on for as long as possible. Trump really wants a coronation. Yeah, okay. and but but the the point is made. The point is made by um, Cruz's supporters that Cruz isn't in this race to elect a conservative. He's in the race to elect Ted Cruz, and I and he has an idea that if he gets Rubio out of the race, that people will just fall in line because um, what are you going to do? You don't want Trump, and that may happen. You know, and if that happens, you you know, if he succeeds in getting, you know, in this maneuver, and what happens is everybody just says, we don't have any choice for backing Ted Cruz, then it looks like a very clever, well-done political play. If it fails, then he's wasted a bunch of money running in a state he couldn't win in the first place. If it succeeds and the end result is he gets bashed up and down the, uh, down the eastern seaboard in the month of April – and in the month of May, he's lost so much momentum that Donald Trump sweeps that too and becomes the nominee because of Cruz's action, then I think it's fair to put um, a lion's share of blame for what happens with Donald Trump on Ted Cruz. And I, I certainly know the party establishment will look at it, will look at it like that. I think because, you are correct in that. Now, 
Cruz's supporters don't see this, and I, I don't even think it's a matter of their blinding themselves. I think many of them have not thought out that far ahead. Well, uh, it, I mean, when you're thinking about delegates, you think about the state of New York. If um, the state of New York, if nobody gets 50% of the vote, the state is proportional. If somebody gets 50% of the vote, then it's winner take all. Now, I cannot imagine in a 51% of New Yorkers voting for Ted Cruz. Um, I just cannot see that. Um, no, but I can see 51% of voting for Donald Trump. Right. That, I mean, that's, actually a, that's actually a closed primary state that I think Trump could win. And that's 95 delegates, you know, on top of the 99 that he would get in the state of uh, the state of Florida. Um, and, you know, and I could not see Ted Cruz getting uh, 51% of the vote in the state of Connecticut, um, which, you know, yeah, which maybe if John Kasich stays in, that could be, that could still be avoided. Um, because Connecticut's very similar to Vermont. But if Trump carries Connecticut, then that's another 40-plus delegates. Um, and the thing is that, in theory, it's possible if he, for him to accumulate, for Ted Cruz to accumulate delegates to win this outright, where it would be very uh, difficult for Marco Rubio to do it. But in practice, in practice, it's really not because of the states that are voting. And, I, you know, I don't know what Cruz is, is you know, I, I don't know whether Cruz thinks that, you know, like I said, maybe he just figures, you know, me versus Donald Trump, come on, make, come on, you don't really have a choice. And... Um, I, I think that that is certainly a that is a strategy that really risks putting the Republican Party in the country into the hands of Donald Trump. And you know, like I said, it is a very dangerous strategy. And you know, I, I think you know if Ted Cruz loses, he probably sees it as he'll just come back like Ronald Reagan in 1980. Um, which did not work out well the cycle for uh, Mike Huckabee or Rick Santorum, uh, who at this rate will probably end up winning more primaries than Cruz does. Um, but, I, I mean, I think that what the Cruz campaign is doing is very, very, very risky in trying to take out Marco Rubio, even if it means giving Donald Trump 99 delegates to the convention. It's incredibly, incredibly dangerous. Uh, yeah, it's it's very dangerous strategy when you have a when you have someone like Donald Trump who is disliked by a huge portion of the party, but he continues winning primaries. When you have someone like that, really the only way to stop them is to keep as crowded a field as possible. Right. Um, and I, I mean, what it does seem to come down to is Ted Cruz knows if there is a contested convention he is not going to come out the nominee. Um, he will have his supporters who go in there, and that's going to be about it. Um, you have to think that he knows that in the back of his mind. 
I do have to wonder if some of his supporters understand that. Uh, you know, I think that he has a lot of supporters out there, very, very fine people who, who believe that he can beat Donald Trump one on one. Um, I wish, you know, I wish him luck in that, Adam, because frankly, any of our uh, this is this is my opinion. I'll specify that any of our Republican candidates, any of them, would be a vast improvement over Donald Trump. I would. <laughs> Any of I, them. I would give John Kasich a hug if it would help him in a one-on-one race with uh, Donald Trump. Uh, absolutely. If, if John Kasich were the uh, could beat Donald Trump one-on-one, I, I say John Kasich for king. Uh, you know, I, any any of our Republican candidates are a vast improvement over Donald Trump, including Ted Cruz. Yes. Right. And, and, and yeah, if, if, if it gets to this point where, you know, Rubio is out of the race, then I will certainly be cheering for Ted, uh, cheering for Ted Cruz. But I have to admit when I did, you know, when I've listened to some of the rhetoric, I, I did, uh, think about, um, I did think about, you know, did you make the right decision in, in, uh, saying you were for Rubio, but I thought, you know, none of this changes my opinion of the huge, huge pitfall, the huge pitfall that Ted Cruz would face in the month of April. April, And I, I think that the campaign, its, it's strategy is awful, and I only I hope that Marco Rubio wins Florida, and I will say that I hope John Kasich wins the state of Ohio at this point because I think he's in such a position that he is the only one who could win other than uh, Donald Trump. So, well, yeah, but I think there's a strategy in this for him, and it's not to win the presidency at this point. Who, uh, uh, where are we having the Republican National Convention this year, Adam? Cleveland. Yeah, it's in Cleveland. Uh, and I should point out that uh, while we don't have the era of political bosses anymore, that uh, in, in, in most places, uh, when you think of political bosses, you think of the old Democratic Party, right? You think of, you know, uh, giving the old boys a a fifth of whiskey to go vote your way, right? Right. Back in the day, in Ohio, uh, that wasn't the, the Democratic way. That was the Republican way. Uh, that That's what happened in Cleveland and Columbus and Cincinnati. More Cincinnati and Columbus than Cleveland, but, but in all three places that it occurred. And uh, the, the legacy of the Republican bosses is very, very much alive. You see it everywhere when you see um, streets named uh, in Cincinnati for Cox and Taft. Uh, Boss Cox was the man who made William Howard Taft and who made the Taft family. And uh, the Republican Party of Ohio owes much to Boss Cox and and to uh, to the system of political bosses that existed at the turn of the last century. That legacy is very much alive. In, in in this convention. Uh, John Kasich is aware of that. 
and he knows that one way he can manipulate this process is by winning Ohio because it's winner take all. He will control and because the convention is in Ohio, the Ohio delegation is going to be in charge of at least part of those arrangements. Uh, he will control the Ohio delegation. And in the case of a brokered or contested convention, John Kasich could play the role of kingmaker. Don't think he's not thinking about that. Boss Cox and Governor James Rhodes are turning over in their graves somewhere, or he's channeling them at night, or something. <laughs> because, because I'm here to tell you, he, he's, that's exactly what's going through his mind. Well, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, I I think I think John Kasich. Yeah, well, it, it's tough to say what he is hoping for. It's a very odd campaign, but I certainly hope, you know, I hope it continues at least through Connecticut um, at this point, because uh, at that point he really is taking votes away from uh, Trump. And he might even be able to win Connecticut as well, um, because... Kasich, for all of my discussion of the, of the political bosses and John Kasich's, being aware of that way of doing business, and so are a lot of Republicans in Ohio. Um, John Kasich is, whatever you think of his politics, and there's plenty to disagree with him about, um, he is a genuinely decent human being. Yes. And um, he really is, and, and I believe that he believes that he is acting in the best interest of the country and the interest of the Republican Party by continuing to engage in this. Uh, I, I think he believes Donald Trump is a bully. I believe he sees Donald Trump as dangerous to America and that he has a duty to stay in this thing as long as possible to stop Donald Trump. The thing about John Kasich is that he's too decent a person to come right out and say, I'm, st I'm staying in this so that I can stop Donald Trump. Right. Um, <laughs> that's typical John Kasich. Now, I, am, I do want to ask you about one thing from the debate. And some people think, well, this is kind of contradictory. Um, that, you know, after they went through the debate where, you know, Rubio repeated that Donald Trump is a con man for the simple reason that Donald Trump is a con man, and um, Ted uh, Ted Cruz brought up his legal troubles, how he couldn't win, how he was a phony. They said, so will you pledge to support the nominee even if it's Donald Trump? And they all said yes. Um, and some people were like, well, that was a little bit of a surreal uh, moment. Uh, was there any other way that they could have answered? Because they have all signed pledges to support the nominee. The answer is no, and I and I heard a lot of that. Uh, as you know, Adam, I'm, I'm in a lot of Catholic groups on the internet and on Facebook, and from from clergy and aspiring clergy, you heard this. How could they say that? How could they do this? Because there's a lot of fear and trepidation uh, over Trump in a lot of quarters in the Jewish community, in the Catholic community. Um, and I, I had to explain to some people uh, in an online discussion, you know, uh, they signed the same pledge Trump did. Uh, they, they are bound to that. 
nobody's going to tell them what to do in the privacy of the voting booth. But they, they at the very least, can't work against the nominee. They promised that, and unlike Trump, the rest of those men are probably going to be true to their word. Um, and uh, they're, 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 they're at least, uh, you know, dignity, if not honor, in all cases. And they, they have signed that pledge. They, they're not really going to say in public, I'm not going to support that buffoon, um, because if the situation were reversed, um, they would be needing Donald Trump's support. Right. Needing the support of his supporters, and the way this race is going, we could conceivably, as narrow as the uh, opportunity seems, it's always possible that the situation could be reversed, and that the supporters of a Ted Cruz or of a Marco Rubio could be asking the supporters of Donald Trump for their support. And when you when you know that you, the situation could be reversed, you don't ever want to say publicly, "Oh no, I'm not going to back your guy," because you might need those votes later on. People have long memories. I remember when uh, Governor Romney had his speech this week, which was probably the best speech of Governor Mitt Romney's political career. Uh, I after I watched that, Adam, I thought if he had spoken like that four years ago, we wouldn't be calling him the former Republican nominee, we'd be calling him the President of the United States, I think. Right. But uh, uh, even uh, Governor Romney, when he had his speech earlier in the week, um, you know, he's, he's doing it from the vantage point of someone who knows that... Um, he, he has to, if he's serious about stopping Donald Trump, he has to do it now because uh, the situation were reversed. You dance with the one that brung you. And, um, right. the, you know, it, it's, a, it's a thorny situation. I think a lot of people outside of, of the political party apparatus, this is exactly why my wife says, is refusing to identify officially with the Republican Party it's precisely for reasons such as this. If you're inside the party apparatus, you cannot say, I won't support the nominee um, for whatever office it is, not just president. Right. Any office, because, you know, if you're supporting somebody else for whatever, you might need those people later on for whatever reason. It's a game of give and take, and you scratch my back, and I'll scratch yours. It's pure politics. That's exactly what it is. It's pure politics, and, and we need to be honest about that fact. Politics is uh, is not always dirty, but it is a game of give and take. And yeah. One of the gives is you, you can't come out if you're depending on a political party to get you to a certain point in your public life. Um and you're riding that horse of a political party, you cannot say that you will not support publicly the nominees of that party if you're expecting that party to support you if you were in the position of being nominated. You know, that, that would be a double standard uh, for these guys to do that. Now, you and I are free because we're not running for office to say, I cannot in good conscience do that. It may cost us 
if we ever wanted to be precinct captains or if we wanted to serve on local committees as we have done um, and uh, we may not be able to do that at the very least for a cycle or two but uh, we're not running for political office so we're not quite as bound we're not quite as tied uh, <clears throat> we don't hold office but if you do and you run for office under a party banner you you do have some obligations to the, to the people and to the party who, who got you where you are that's why you saw that and, and I, I have learned that people outside of politics don't quite understand that they look at that and say well that's hypocritical it's kind of like I talked to a number of people that uh, heard Governor Romney's speech and some one person I know approached me and said this is going to be thorny Trump endorsed him four years ago and I said that's absolutely right and they said how hypocritical I said I don't see the hypocrisy in that four years ago Donald Trump was not acting like a schoolyard bully right um, you know uh, I did not like it when Donald Trump endorsed Romney because the robocall that he uh, made for Romney is what what allowed Romney to win the state of Michigan and as you know you and I were both uh, involved in the Santorum campaign time and I'll never forget it because uh, I'm when Trump did that uh, I, I that that probably cost Rick Santorum the Republican nomination in hindsight we can look back on it and say and uh, this person's well what hypocrisy that is no nobody knew four years ago what Donald Trump was going to do right and I imagine that he would behave like this and I would imagine that Governor Romney wouldn't either well and to an extent and I guess that does bring me into the topic of um, the Romney speech because it's created a lot of controversy um, and I'm kind of and you know people in the conservative movement are panning you know panning it for various reasons Trump people are panning it and I'm reminded of the story about the man who you know they were in a prayer meeting and he turned over to his to the guy who said you know I can't hear what you're saying he goes well I'm not talking to you and um, I think that people on my timeline on Facebook and people, you know, uh, were not the audience of Governor Romney. I think there were primarily two audiences for this speech he gave uh, Gordon Hensley. First was, you know, I think faithful LDS people who are going to go to the polls in um, Idaho and then in a couple weeks in Utah. Yes, and I, I, I didn't think about that, Adam, but you're right. Those people are an important constituency for Governor Romney. Right. Not because he's a Mormon uh, former elected official who ran for president, but because he happens to be a Mormon official who's a former Mormon bishop. Uh, he's going to carry some weight with that community that other political leaders would not have because of his former uh, position in the church. Yeah, and the second audience is the party establishment, um, which a lot of establishment people have said privately, that, and in the case of Bob Dole publicly, that they would rather deal with um, 
um, they would rather deal with Donald Trump than they would Ted Cruz. Um, And this was Mitt Romney's statesmanlike way of saying to people who had that instinct and had that feeling, are you on Mm -hmm. something? Um, Because this is absolutely not acceptable. And one thing he did say in the speech is he listed Senator Cruz, Senator uh, Rubio, and, and Governor Kasich all as candidates who would be acceptable conservative Republican nominees. Um, And what Governor Romney is saying and what he is trying to convince the establishment of is absolutely not. This is absolutely unacceptable. You know, you, you seriously want to put this man as the standard bearer of the party because you thought, think Senator Cruz is a, was a grandstander in the Senate. No, no, under no circumstances, no way should this happen. And I, there that, are a lot of things, there are a lot of ways that Ted Cruz has gone about his business. It's, it's not policies that I disagree with him about more, more, more often than not. Few right. Policies, but most of the time I agree with many of his policies. But the way he's gone about his business, I don't agree with a lot of that. Right. Donald Trump, uh, you know, he's, compared with Donald Trump, he's a saint. You know, I, I, I can't, I can't, I can't disparage any of these guys compared to Trump. Uh, they really look, uh, they, they all look, it's pretty black and white. And I think that's what Governor Romney was trying to get at. Um, the other thing I think that he was trying to get at was the reality that this is not over. Right. I mean, if you have a conscience in the, you know, and you intend to save the party, I think he looks at the Republican Party and he realizes that if Donald Trump is the nominee, it could damage the party for many, many, many years to come. It's not just a question of if Donald Trump is the nominee, Hillary is going to win. There's, there are a few of us who believe that that is the inevitable outcome. <laughs> but that's not just the, the problem here. Uh, you know, I think the inevitable outcome when Mitt Romney was nominated was that Obama was going to be reelected, and I was correct. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, that's not just the issue. The issue is that I think Donald Trump <clears throat> will tear the party apart. I think we've already seen that. Uh, I've seen it. I mean, I have friends that are supporting. Trump, and uh, you know they're trying to. Uh, they're just astounded that I've spoken out so strongly against him. Uh, on the you know on the side, they don't understand why I would put Trump to this imagery of Klan and the rest of it. Look, I think the guy's a fascist, but I mean seriously, there are some good people supporting Donald Trump. Uh, it's really ripping the uh, Republican Party to shreds. And it, it's high time that somebody like Mitt Romney spoke out and said, up with this, we will not put. Uh, the other thing that I think if you are opposed to Trump that you have to mention or you have to, to think about, because I've thought about it, and I know Governor Romney wasn't going to mention this in his speech, but uh, I mentioned it to a couple of people that I know over the last week in personal conversations. Uh, 
and that is this. I'm going to be very disappointed if Hillary Clinton wins because I don't trust her with the Supreme Court and with a number of issues that we care about. I really think that she'll make a wreck of things, and I'm sure we can agree on that. Um, I'm really concerned if Donald Trump wins because Donald Trump will have control of the nuclear football. Uh, he will have control of the launch codes launch the missiles when he decides he's mad at somebody. And I really do think the guy is that much of a loose cannon. Yeah. And I was asked by someone today, uh, I said, do you, I, and I asked them, I said, do you really trust, because this person told me, it was their objective opinion, objective opinion, that they thought Donald Trump was actually going to win the general election. And I said, you really think that? And this person said, yes. And they laid out how they think it was going to be done. And I said, now, do you really trust Donald Trump with the nuclear launch codes? Right. And he said, do you trust Hillary Clinton with them? I said, yes, I do. I said, Hillary Clinton is many bad, bad, bad things. Crazy, she's not. Right. She yeah. will not come at 3 a.m. and launch our nuclear missiles. I don't trust Donald Trump uh, to do that. I think, I think people have, really intellectual people have weighed that and they're coming down on the side of Mrs. Clinton solely because they do not Trump trust Donald Trump not to lose his temper in a crisis. Earlier, yeah. this, uh, earlier this week, Ben Stein announced that if Donald Trump was the Republican nominee, he was going to vote for Mrs. Clinton. Ben Stein is like me. He's never voted Democratic in his life. Okay, and I, and I haven't. I'm, I'm, I'll make it clear. I don't intend to in the fall. Right. But I want to tell you, Ben Stein has come out and said if he had to choose between Hillary and Trump, he's voting for Hillary. Now, why do you think that is? Uh, he, he, he said, I like Trump, but he's mis misinformed. I don't think it's just because he thinks Trump is misinformed. Ben Stein's a smart man. He worked in the Nixon administration. He's worked in the White House. He's been around the president in the darkest hours. He's been around presidents in times of international crisis. I'm betting he's decided on He's made his choice based on the fact that he's like, what would Donald Trump do, at, at, to use a phrase of Mrs. Clinton, what would Donald Trump do at 3 a.m.? Donald Trump would uh, be calling the uh, air command at NORAD, giving them launch codes, rather than... Right. You'd, you'd, you'd end up with a you know, bombing uh, Mexico City and Trump saying, I told you you should have paid for the wall. Um, I mean, that, that's, you know, it, it's it's really the type of thing. It all sounds, um, far, you know, it's farcical, but then, but, you know, it's like, but then, you know, there's the point when farce becomes tragedy, and that's, you know, what we're trying to avoid. Possible, but that's the kind of temperament this man has, and that's why a lot of people are concerned. Yeah, and kind of temperament. I mean, will he start using nuclear weapons the same way he uses our lawsuits as a threat for everything? Um, I mean, that's you know, and you know, it's just yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's a concern, a legitimate concern. I think Donald Trump, I mean, even if you think he's well-intentioned, and I'm not convinced, 
Um, if you think he's well-intentioned, you have to admit objectively that the guy is a hothead. Right. When you're dealing with international crises, that's a concern. I think some people are legitimately making the choice um, uh, to do the unthinkable precisely because they're afraid this guy could get in a moment of crisis and decide that rather than talk, he's going to push the button. And, uh, and you know, of course, I don't know if he really would or not, but I think some, some people that are smarter than I am have decided that that is a real possibility and, and they're breaking the other way because they don't believe they can trust this man in a moment of crisis. And that's, that's really uh, something because, Adam, it is true that whoever uh, is elected president has not only the 300 million lives of our country in their hands, they have the lives of billions of people around the world. Right. Uh, and, and so this isn't I, something to pick around with. Right. I do think, I, I do think that Romney also, one reason he is doing this is that he does bear some responsibility for turning uh, Trump into a legitimate national political force. Because Trump, basically, he had been kind of toying with politics and done a lot of birther stuff. But he, but Romney came to Trump, used him in that presidential campaign to win the state of Michigan, and that I think gave him a little air of legitimacy. So I think Romney is aware of the, you know, he's not going to say it, but I think he is aware. I owe people. Yeah, I think he knows that. I think yeah. he's sorry. I think he's legitimately sorry, uh, and I don't think he could have known. I couldn't have known. You know, if I was in Romney's shoes. Truthfully, and I think if you were in Romney's shoes four years ago, uh, you know, we were on the other side of that fight. Uh, I made, uh, we were all on the, big on Rick Santorum. Uh, but if I were in Romney's shoes during that campaign, I would have done the exact same thing Romney did, probably. Right. You wouldn't have acted any differently. You're trying to win an election. He had no idea what Donald Trump was going to do in 2016. None of us could have envisioned that, and I think he feels responsible. And God bless him for, for stepping up uh, and taking responsibility for this. Yeah, definitely. Um, we're going to briefly turn to uh, some of the states ahead. Uh, of course, tomorrow we have Puerto Rico that will vote. And I think we know that that one is going to be a huge win for Donald because Hispanics love Donald Trump. Um, now for the serious predictions. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that may be one of Marco Rubio's better nights. <laughs> yeah, I think this will be a, this will probably be a win for Rubio. He did go out to Puerto Rico. He has the support of the national committeemen out there. And I think he will turn in a very solid win, both because of who he is and as well he represents a much more uh, mainstream candidate. I mean, I think that this will be a state where Ted Cruz probably finishes third. It will be interesting to see what his percentage is, but I'm thinking he will walk away with all the delegates in Puerto Rico. Um, 
Michigan and uh, Mississippi will be interesting to watch. Um, I, I think at this point, uh, Trump has to be favored in both states. Um, but it will be interesting to see what movement we have after the debate, particularly in Mississippi, where the poll numbers were very similar to what we we only have one poll out, but it was very similar to what we saw in Louisiana. So it could be a very tight race there. Um, Hawaii um, may be a good place for Rubio as well. And certainly the cruise people are going to be spending tonight's results as evidence of this is the way things are going to be, and we'll see on on um, Tuesday if that's the truth. Um, in terms of my own home state, I should offer some opinion on that. Uh, the governor has endorsed John Kasich, but he's of the opinion that um, Marco Rubio will probably win the state. And I think there's good reason to believe that. He's um, done a lot of work in the um, southern part of the state uh, with the LDS community. And um, I think there are a lot of people who are uh, for him around here, but there are also, you know, a lot of, you know, in the, my part of the state, there are a lot of people who are for Trump uh, and for Cruz, particularly once you get up north towards uh, the Canadian border. So I think it's going to be a tight race. I don't think anyone's going to get 50%, and I expect that all three candidates will walk out of the um, Cruz. Uh, Rubio and Trump will all walk away with some delegates from Idaho, but um, not all. I don't think Kasich will get any delegates, even with uh, Governor Otter's support, because he just he just does not yeah he just does not have anything there. And of course, I will be meeting um, or going to a rally with Marco Rubio tomorrow, which will be about oh, about only a mile uh, from my house. So. Very convenient uh, for Senator Rubio. A wonderful time. Uh, as you know, Marco Rubio, before the Tennessee primary, was in Knoxville. I didn't get a chance to go to the rally. That's about an hour away from my house. But uh, I didn't get a chance to go to the rally. It was at 9 o'clock on a Monday morning. Not the best time uh, to be at a rally at the McGee-Tyson Airport. But I know quite a few people who did. And it was a good turnout. Uh, and um, it, knowing that. Uh, it is uh, surprising and unfortunate, perhaps, that, uh, that uh, Senator Rubio didn't do as well as perhaps that rally projected. He, he, when he did come here, he did very well. But as I said, both he and Senator Cruz had good ground operation here. Trump was the one whose ground operation was lacking. Uh, and Trump won the state by a wide margin. Yeah. So any thoughts from you on... Uh, any of the upcoming states, or uh, I think I think Puerto Rico is going to be very interesting to uh, to watch tomorrow, primarily because it's a chance for Marco Rubio to to, to accrue delegates and stay in this thing. Anything that involves the accruing of delegates prevents Donald Trump from getting that 1,237 that he would need for the nomination outright. Um, the other thing that's going to be interesting to watch is you pointed out, is going to be Michigan and Mississippi. How many delegates can Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio pull in Michigan and Mississippi? I would think that Michigan 
is the best chance for John Kasich to accrue delegates. He won't win there, but he does have a decent following in the state of Michigan, oddly enough, for an Ohio State graduate and a diehard, died-in-the-wool Ohio State Buckeye football fan. He has quite a following there. Um, uh, but he, uh, he uh, it'll be interesting to see how many delegates he can accrue. He's not in a position to win the state, but he could play spoiler to Donald Trump. Even if Donald Trump wins in Michigan, if John Kasich picks up enough delegates, he could spoil it for Trump, meaning that Trump might not pick up very many delegates for somebody that just won the state of Michigan. Uh, and you'd have a pretty even delegate split between Trump uh, Cruz and Rubio and Kasich. Uh, that could happen. That'll be very interesting just to watch and see if it does. Uh, and in the in the states to come, how even is the delegate split going to be? Is it going to even in Louisiana, where Donald Trump did fairly well? Uh, there was a pretty even delegate split. Uh, if we continue to see that. Uh, of course, we won't see it in the winner-take-all states, but there are still a number of proportional states coming up. Um, if we continue to see pretty even delegate splits, you're not going to see anybody run away with the nomination, and we're going to be going into this process well into the month of April and May. And, per, and perhaps uh, beyond. Uh, uh, yeah, we, we have quite a ways to go. I'll be back, I think, just by myself to talk tomorrow about Puerto Rico um, for just a few minutes, and then um, we'll, we'll talk again on Tuesday as at least the first couple of states. I don't think we'll want to stay up for Hawaii. Um, you will not have me for the Hawaii uh, voting. Yes. All right. Well... But, David, thanks for taking time out tonight. Uh, you have a great evening, and uh, and go out there, and uh, if, you've not, if your state hasn't voted yet, then vote for somebody whose name isn't uh, Donald Trump. Yeah, I agree. But, and if you're, in, if you're in Ohio, vote for Kasich. If you're in Florida, vote for Rubio. Whatever it oh. takes. Which your Trump does not get one thousand two hundred thirty-seven delegates. Yep, not one thousand, not the nominee. All right, but from Boise, Idaho, for David Oatney, this is Adam Graham signing off. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.